Um, if you've been with us through the past month, we've been going through our Christmas sermon series called The Road to Christmas. And we've talked about the journey that brought each of the members of the Christmas story to this night. And because if you think about the first Christmas day, for most people, 99.999% of people, nothing changed. Nobody noticed anything different. But for a small group of people, they were forever changed by that night. And the truth is that it's the same today, that for most of the people in the world, we will open presents tonight, tomorrow morning, we'll have some big meals, we'll spend you know, some days with family, we'll play with those toys, maybe break a couple of them. Eventually, the kids will go back to school, the decorations will go back in the box, and things will go back to normal. And for most people, nothing will have really changed. But it is possible to be changed by Christmas. It is possible to be changed by what happens on Christmas. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the journey of each person and how they ended up at that stable so that we can learn how we can choose to be a part of what God is doing through Christmas. So we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth, who technically didn't go to the stable but have a very important story. We talked about Mary. We talked about Joseph. We talked about the Magi. And then tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about Jesus's journey to the, the Christmas morning. But today, we're going to talk about the shepherds. And as you heard, in the, we've already heard the Christmas story read for us, and it, the shepherds are introduced this way. It says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So these shepherds, that word for uh, living, it really does mean they lived out there pretty much all the time. They were on call in the fields watching over the sheep. And that is for two reasons. Number one, sheep are valuable. They give you wool, they give you meat, they're important for sacrifices. And number two, they are in danger. If you don't have someone there to watch over them, bad things happen to those sheep. They might get rustled, they might get eaten by a predator, or they might just wander away. They're not very smart, they're not very disciplined, they could end up anywhere. And so you hire these people, this is, very, this is like an entry-level job, this is, this is working at McDonald's. This is, if you can't do anything else, you can shepherd. You can sit in a field and you can watch sheep all day. And their one job is to keep an eye on those sheep, keep them safe. Which is why it is surprising that the thing that they do in this story is that every one of them abandons those sheep completely. They fail at their one job. Or they, they choose to uh, neglect that job for the sake of the baby. The question is, what is it that makes them, drives them to make that choice? Why did the shepherds decide to set aside their livelihood and their responsibility to go see the baby? If you've ever thought about it, they could have done it another way, right? They could have waited until the morning. That would have at least been the kind thing to do for the mom, is to wait until the morning. The baby's not going anywhere. Uh, or, at the very least, they could have done it in shifts, right? They didn't all have to go to the baby at the same time. But they are so excited and so motivated to go see the baby that they all go immediately without evidently really thinking about what might happen to the sheep or what state they might find them in when they get back. And I think that that reason has to do with specifically what the angels say when the whole crowd of angels begins celebrating. The fact that there is a baby born that's going to be the Messiah is exciting, but it's not urgent, right? Like it's going to be 30 years before Jesus does anything really Messiah-y. You know, babies don't, it's a newborn baby. He's got time. But what the angels say when they celebrate is, I think, what really motivates them. And if you, you're probably most familiar with the King James Version, 
mainly because that's what's made it into our Christmas songs, where they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. And that really sums up well what we think of Christmas, what we think Christmas is about, even if you don't particularly care about Jesus, that we think of it as a season of peace on earth and goodwill toward men, where we set it for at least a month, we set aside our disagreements, and we act like we like each other, and we have goodwill towards all people. The problem is that that is not actually an accurate translation we have found. And so when you read modern translations, they will phrase it more like this. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's not goodwill to men, it's men of goodwill, or people that are favored by God. And that one, one translator put it this way in his own personal translation, there is glory for God in the highest heavens, and on earth there is peace among the people whom God has favored. That's the announcement that the angels are making. So what did the, what did the uh, shepherds hear in that that made them abandon their sheep? Well, first of all, you have to understand what the word peace means. It doesn't just mean that there's some war that was happening that's going to end. When they say peace, they're using the Jewish concept that goes back to the Hebrew word that means wholeness, completeness. It is the rest that comes from being complete and whole, you know, not being um, broken by sin, by conflict. I want you to think about a time in your life when you were broken, when your life was broken, when your home was broken, when you really experienced brokenness. Maybe that's in your past, maybe that's in your present. And imagine if someone you trusted had told you, hey, here's the address, go to this place, and you and your life will be made whole. How long would you wait to go to that address? How, how practical would your thinking be at that time? Would you be making plans on how to share, the, you know, how to, who's going to cover your shift? And that? No, you're going to go because that peace, that wholeness is something that all of us want. And we don't want to wait. If that wholeness is available, we don't want to live a second longer in our brokenness than we have to. That's part of their urgency. But the other part of the urgency, uh, so, so what we find, first of all, is that you can find peace, you can find wholeness when you find Jesus. That there is a place, the angels are announcing, there is a place on earth, there's an address you can go to where you will, can be made whole, and it's where Jesus is. There's an interesting thing that changes when you look at the, the more accurate translations. It doesn't say goodwill toward men, which we interpret as everybody's, uh, everybody likes everybody, everybody's nice to everybody, but it says that the peace that is being offered is for the people whom God has favored. That that peace is only for certain people, and those people are described as the people who have been favored by God. Now, on the one hand, we could take that as favoritism, that God only has, maybe God has a secret list of the people that he favors, and they're the ones who get the benefits. I don't think that's what's happening here. That's not what I find in Scripture. That's not what I find in the story. What I think we're seeing here is that anybody can find Jesus, but only certain people who have made certain choices will actually find peace in Jesus. It depends on what you're looking for. It depends on what you want out of this life, uh, because Jesus won't give you whatever you want. Jesus is a Messiah with an agenda, with a plan, and there's peace for the people who will follow that plan, who will be a part of that plan. Finding Jesus only brings peace to God's favored people. And the question is, who are God's favored people? 
Well, if you've been reading the Gospel of Luke up to this point, then you will have come across somebody who's favored, who was called favored. An angel appeared to a teenage girl and told her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. We talked in the sermon on Mary about the fact that Mary is not favored in the sense that she is going to, her life is going to be easy. She's going to get all the best parking spots. She's going to get all the attention. Like, all good things are going to happen to Mary. She's not going to have a very hard life. She is favored because she's been given a job. She has a calling from God. She has an important role to play in his plan. And when she's told about this plan, this role, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And she accepts that role. She has no idea what it's going to look like. She has no clue what's coming, but she accepts it. That's what it means to be favored by God. It means to be called to a purpose and to accept that purpose and pursue that purpose. So God's favored people are the ones who hear his call and who answer in faith. So as we come to Christmas Eve, as we come to another Christmas after 2,000 years, where only a very small part of the world will actually be changed, we can see what makes the difference. How can we be changed by Christmas? How can we be different this year and not just go back to the same old? It is by hearing the call of God, which he has put on every one of our lives, and committing to following him. That's what it means to be favored by God, and that's what brings us peace. Setting aside our own plans, our own agendas, taking off our own crowns, and recognizing that the king of our lives has been born into this world. And as we move into our time of communion, it's important for us to remember the price at which that peace was bought. It wasn't simply by being born that Jesus brought us peace. Isaiah says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus paid a high price to bring us peace, to bring us wholeness. And as we take communion, we remember the whole life and death and eternal life of Jesus. We recognize what it costs to bring us that peace. We thank God for that peace. And we commit to following him. We're going to talk about this tomorrow morning. But really, tonight, I don't know if you've started opening presents yet, but right now, you are about to open the best present you will receive, which is the body and blood of Christ. God loved the world this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal. Let's pray. Dear Father, we, we thank you so much for the gift you have given us. We confess that our attention is drawn in so many places right now. We can't really help with the way Christmas works these days, that we are focusing on the boxes that will be opened, the traditions that will be observed, the meals that will be cooked. There's so much ahead of us that we need to get done and that that we put so much expectation into. But Father, in this moment, we recognize that the most important gift that we receive is your Son. And we recognize that when we, to truly accept that gift, we have to give our lives to you. So we pray that in the midst of all of the chaos, of all of the tradition, of all of the joy, of all of the good things that will happen in our family time, Father, we pray that you would keep us mindful of your son, mindful of what it takes, what it took to offer us peace and what it takes from us to live in that peace. 
We thank you for this day, this opportunity to be grateful and to receive the gift of your son. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopefully you have communion with you. You can open the bottom to get the bread. You can open the top to drink the juice. And uh, please partake at this time.